situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Please. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Could have done without that. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my winner. It's announced today that New York Mets relief pitcher Edwin Diaz will not pitch this season. Now, it sounds like it makes a ton of sense. Obviously, you don't want a pitcher that is coming back from an injury to pitch in games that don't mean anything. But I'm going to tell you why it would have benefited both the New York Mets and Edwin Diaz for him to pitch in a game or two by the end of the season. Number one, it gives him the uh, feeling that he's back. You know, he could have a regular offseason like he did the, the offseason before. Just preparing to go into spring training and there's no thoughts of whether he's going to be able to handle, I don't know, the you know the uh, strength of pushing off on his leg. To pitch a game or two, like I said, from most people's perspective, seems like it's meaningless. I think there was meaning to it. And I also believe that the New York Mets were toggling with this idea. And another thing, too, if you had Edwin Diaz proven that he's back, he's recovered from his terrifying knee injury, which he suffered at the end of the World Baseball Classic in March, there's at least that possibility that you're going to have teams inquire for his services. Now, as a Mets fan, am I going out of my way to want to trade Edwin Diaz? No, but David Stern's taken over as the new president of baseball operations along with Billy Epler and the owner there, Steve Cohen. In order to get this team, which is it's going to be a losing season, it's going to be a season where the Mets are not going to make the playoffs. They're probably not going to come close to finishing at 500. Part of it is the decision they made at the trading deadline to, to move on from uh, top of the rotation pitchers like Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander to get younger. They sacrificed the end of the season. I get that. But the goal with having Steve Cohen as the owner, the richest owner in sports history, is going to be the expectation that the Mets are going to be ready to win in 2024. Whether the thought is, oh, maybe it'll be better in 2025 and 2026, there's no stepping back. They're not going to take a step back and get worse. So they're going to have to change some things up. Their offense has not come through the way that it's been expected. There hasn't been much changes. It's not like they traded away top offensive players to the trading deadline. They haven't hit this year. Their starting rotation, you would expect to digress without the likes of Scherzer and Verlander in there, missing Jose Quintana for the first half of the season. I understand their pitching's not good. Their pitching's going to have to get better. They're probably going to hit you know, through free agency to try to get better there. But when it comes to players being off limits in regards to the Mets not trading them, you know, there's going to be Francisco Lindor, who has eight years left on his contract, and Brandon Nimmo, who's got seven years left on his contract. Even if the Mets would want to train him, it would be bad optics to include money for players that are going to play eight and seven respective years, years respectively, on their contracts. But everybody else on a roster has to be available for a price. Pete Alonso has got to be available for the right price with the right team. If you could get you know elite prospects that are going to impact your major league team right away, top 100 major league prospects, players that experts expect to be legitimate major leaguers, then you have to consider it. 
And I think you also have to consider it when it comes to Edwin Diaz. And I think Edwin Diaz pitching a game or two at least puts in the mind that he could be had if the price was right. And this is what the Mets have to do. If they want to get better for 2024, the expectations is they're going to be a playoff team. There's six teams in the National League. They're making the playoffs. There's no reason that the Mets can't expect themselves to be one of the six, even if it's not um, a World Series championship contender. Let's say the Braves or the Dodgers of the National League, you know, on that level. Edwin Diaz pitching a game or two for the Mets at the end of this season had some value, and I believe the Mets are making a mistake. You have a, a sad and um, disturbing story coming out of Michigan State where uh, once renowned head football coach Mel Tucker, and it's not that long ago, 2021, that Michigan State team was dominant, had very uh, a handful of players that made it to the NFL, they won a bowl game, they gave Mel Tucker a 10-year contract extension, and now he, he's about to lose his job over sexual harassment. Um, a woman claims that, you know, he, whatever, he, he masturbated in front of her. He's saying it's consensual. Whatever it is, it's, it's against the code of conduct for Michigan State. And they've moved into the process of trying to terminate his contract. My question when it comes to that, and you may not like this if you're watching this show. You might not like the angle that I'm taking with this. Is Michigan State just trying to not pay Mel Tucker as opposed to to doing the right thing when it comes to addressing the sexual harassment allegations. Now, you know the court of public opinion is going to be on the side of the woman, which I have every right to do that too. The issue I have is the school, and part of it has to do with the complaint, I think would rather save the money than do what's right for the one. And if Mel Tucker... Uh, you know, committed some sort of misconduct, which was a violation of his contract. The guy signs a 10-year contract. There has to be some sort of stipulation for stuff like this. It's just standard. <coughs> standard, uh, you know, contract procedure. Then he violated his contract, probably will lose his job. The only caveat I want to throw in there is I think Michigan State cares more about not paying Mel Tucker than they do wanting to do right when it comes to this woman. And I'm going to stand by that. I was thinking about this the other day, and it, it, I know it's always challenging if you ever bring um, a, a take that's not 100% online with the, hey, we, su we support the woman, we support her allegations, you know, we stand by her rights to file the complaint if she feels like she was wronged, and she's the victim. I'm all on board with that. The only way I go is Michigan State doesn't care that much about it. They have a coach that's embattled. They want to make sure that they save themselves the $70 million that they agreed to when they signed Mel Tucker to this long contract extension. And if you think that Mel Tucker is never going to get another job in college football, you can watch out because I bet you he's coaching for somebody next year. Might not be a big school like Michigan State. It may be a smaller school, a couple years. You know what? If he's recruiting well, if he's one of the big names on the board, Mel Tucker is going to be back coaching college football within a relative future. And when that happens, you say, John Pielli might have been a little bit right when he said it. It was more about Michigan State saving money than 
protecting the rights of this woman. Because there's going to be more allegations, and you see coaches in sports, once they get another job, a player that's accused of sexual harassment, once Trevor Bauer starts playing in Major League Baseball again, yeah, there'll be a little bit of backlash here and there, but he'll still have the right to work. And you know what? Whatever happened in that situation with him is not going to be a big deal anymore. And you have to just identify that that's what's happening in society. It's a lot of bullshit. It's a lot of a front of wanting to make like people care about things that they don't really care about. And just call it for what it is. You know, it's a bad look. That's why Mel Tucker's losing his job. It's a bad look. That's why, you know, the Dodgers released Trevor Bauer and 29 other teams didn't sign him right now. But when he hits free agency, if he's dominating for the Yohama Bay Stars in, in the uh, in Nippon Baseball and a team wants to get better and they sign him, There'll be a limited backlash, but at the same time, he'll be a pitcher. He's going to be a major league pitcher, and I promise you, as much as I promise that Mel Tucker will be coaching college football again in, in Division 1A, Trevor Bauer is going to be playing major league baseball again, regardless of how much you feel like sports care about the victims in these cases. So, on today's saving sports history, today being the 19th day of September 2023. don't have a lot going on, but I do want to bring up 1931 when Lefty Grove, legendary pitcher for the Philadelphia Athletics, won his 30th game, Hall of Fame pitcher. And you know we'll touch on that within the next couple minutes. 1947, Jackie Robinson won the Jackie Robinson Award. How about that? You know, just like Lou Gehrig dying of Lou Gehrig's disease. Jackie Robinson won the Jackie Robinson Award for the Rookie of the Year in Major League Baseball, the inaugural one in 1947. Denny McLean, speaking of 30-game winners, won his 31st game on this day in 1968, the same day that Mickey Mantle hit his 535th career home run, which, if I'm not mistaken, that's the last one he ever hit. 2004, legendary NFL wide receiver Jerry Rice had a 274-game catch streak ended while playing for the Oakland Raiders. This is Jerry Rice just not being able to be Jerry Rice anymore. He wasn't the number one receiving option at that point, and it was bound to happen. It was bound to be a game where he was going to be on the field and not catch a pass, and that ended that you know tremendous streak that he had. Born on his day, Roger Angel, one of uh, the best and most, I think, influential writers of the 20th century. And obviously he lived up until uh, last year. He was born on this day in 1920. Duke Snyder was born on this day in 1926. Baseball Hall of Famer, legendary Dodgers center fielder. In 1943, Joe Morgan, one of the greatest second basemen in the history of Major League Baseball. I have him ranked number three when it comes to all time. Rogers Hornsby, number one. Charlie Gerringer, number two. Joe Morgan, number three, still nothing to be ashamed of. One of the greatest to ever played a position. Obviously, big red machine. Two-time National League MVP, Joe Morgan, born on this day in 1943. Um, 1952, we lost Hugo Bedzek. And if you don't know who he is, he was a legendary college football coach. Hall of Famer. Was a coach for Oregon, Arkansas, Penn State. The NFL with the Cleveland Browns. Also played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And then just a year ago, 
we lost the person that I had the opportunity to meet and really one of the more unsung players of the 1960s, and that's Maury Wills. Maury Wills was a very good shortstop, brought, almost re-revolutionized the stolen base when it came to Major League Baseball, was an influence on Lou Brock, who became an influence on Ricky Henderson. So you, you have the stolen base, which had just about died to the point of Maury Wills coming up and major, making his Major League debut in his late 20s, revolutionized the sport, won the MVP in 1962. And in a day and age that we live in right now, we look at OPS, we look at slugging, on base, the most important things to defining an offensive position player in Major League Baseball. You can make a very good case that Maury Wills, in spite of not having a high on-base percentage, in spite of not having a high slugging percentage, was one of the more dominant players in the National League for the decade of the 1960s. And I think because of that, there should be some more consideration when it comes to this man getting into baseball's Hall of Fame. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you pretty soon. If you're interested in hearing me flap my yap mouth a little bit more, you can check me out on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, videos on YouTube, of course. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. Now they come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude flee, the dude disguises another dude. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. <laughs> and what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100% unequivocally that pitcher was throwing at <laughs>